All right. Welcome to the Idiot Book Nook, where we are now reading Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, narrated by the Reading Dragon and discussed amongst the Reading Dragon, Blaze Lane 2010, and Lady Punnett. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Chapter 1 The Boy Who Lived. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of Number 4 Pivot Drive were proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. They were the last people you'd expect to be involved in anything strange or mysterious, because they just didn't hold with such nonsense. Mr. Dursley was the director of a firm called Grunnings, which made drills. He was a big, beefy man with a hardly, with hardly any neck, although he did have a very large mustache. Mrs. Dursley was thin and blonde and had nearly twice the usual amount of neck, which came in very useful as she spent so much of her time craning over garden fences, spying on the neighbors. The Dursleys had a small son called Dudley, and in their opinion, there was no finer boy anywhere. The Dursleys had everything they wanted, but they also had a secret, and their greatest fear was that somebody would discover it. They didn't think they could bear it if anyone found out about the Potters. Mrs. Potter was Mrs. Dursley's sister, but they hadn't met for several years. In fact, Mrs. Dursley pretended she didn't have a sister, because her sister and her good-for-nothing husband were as undursleydish as it was possible to be. The Dursleys shuddered to think what the neighbors would say if the Potters arrived in the street. The Dursleys knew that the Potters had a son. The Dursleys knew that the Potters had a small son, too, but they had never even seen him. This boy was another good reason for keeping the Potters away. They didn't want Dudley mixing with a child like that. When Mr. and Mrs. Dursley woke up on the dull, gray Tuesday, our story starts, there was nothing about the cloudy sky outside to suggest that strange and mysterious things would soon be happening all over the country. Mr. Dursley hummed as he picked out his most boring tie for work, and Mrs. Dursley gossiped away happily as she wrestled a screaming Dudley into his high chair. None of them noticed a large tawny owl flutter past the window. At half-past eight, Mr. Dursley picked up his briefcase, pecked Mrs. Dursley on the neck, on the cheek, sorry, <laughs> pecked Mrs. Dursley on the cheek, and tried to kiss Dudley goodbye, but missed. Because Dudley was now having a tantrum and throwing his cereal at the walls. Little tyke, chortled Mrs. Dursley as he left the house. Oh, wait. No, that is Mr. Dursley. Never mind. Dudley was now having a tantrum and throwing his cereal at the walls. Little tyke, chortled Mr. Dursley as he left the house. He got into his car and backed out of Number Four's drive. It was on the corner of the street that he noticed the first sign of something peculiar. A cat reading a map. For a second, Mr. Dursley didn't realize what he had seen. Then he jerked his head around to look again. There was a tabby cat standing on the corner of Pivot Drive, but there wasn't a map in sight. What could he have been thinking of? It must have been a trick of the light. Mr. Dursley blinked and stared at the cat. It stared back. As Mr. Dursley drove around the corner and up the road, he watched the cat in his mirror. It was now reading the sign that said Pivot Drive. No, looking at the sign, cats couldn't read maps or signs. Mr. Dursley gave himself a little shake and put the cat out of his mind. As he drove toward down... As he drove toward town, he thought of nothing except a large order of drills he was hoping to get that day. But on the edge of town, drills were driven out of his mind by something else. 
As he sat in the usual morning traffic jam, he couldn't help noticing that there seemed to be a lot of strangely dressed people about. People in cloaks. Mr. Dursley couldn't bear people who dressed in funny clothes. The get-ups you saw on young people. He supposed this was some kind of stupid new fashion. He drummed his fingers on the steering wheel and his eyes fell on a huddle of these weirdos standing quite close by. They were whispering excitedly together. Mr. Dursley was enraged to see that a couple of them weren't young at all. Why, that man had to be older than he was, and wearing an emerald green cloak. The nerve of him! But then it struck Mr. Dursley that this was probably some silly stunt. These people were obviously collecting for something. Yes, that would be it. The traffic moved on, and a few moments later, Mr. Dursley arrived in the Grunning's parking lot, his mind back on drills. Mr. Dursley always sat with his back to the window in his office on the ninth floor. If he hadn't, he might have found it harder to concentrate on drills that morning. He didn't see the owl swooping past in broad daylight, though people down in the street did. They pointed and gazed open-mouthed as owl after owl sped overhead. Most of them had never even seen an owl even at nighttime. Mr. Dursley, however, had a perfectly normal owl-free morning. He yelled at five different people. He made several important telephone calls and shouted a bit more. He was in a very good mood until lunchtime, when he thought he'd stretch his legs and walk across the road to buy himself a bun from the bakery. He'd forgotten all about the people in cloaks until he passed a group of them next to the bakers. He eyed them angrily as he passed. He didn't know why, but they made him uneasy. This bunch were whispering excitedly, too, and he couldn't see a single collecting tin. It was on his way back past them, clutching a large donut in a bag, that he caught a few words of what they were saying. The Potters. The what? That's right. That's... That's what I heard, yes. The son, Harry. Mr. Dursley stopped dead. Fear flooded him. He looked back at the whisperers, as if he wanted to say something to them, but thought better of it. He dashed back across the road, hurried up to his office, snapped at his secretary to not disturb him, seized his telephone, and had almost finished dialing his home number when he changed his mind. He put the receiver back down and stroked his mustache, thinking, no, he was being stupid. Potter wasn't such an unusual name. He was sure there were lots of people called Potter who had a son called Harry. Come to think of it, he wasn't even sure his nephew was called Harry. He'd never even seen the boy. It might have been Harvey or Harold. There was no point in worrying Mrs. Dursley. She always got so upset at any mention of her sister. He didn't blame her if he'd had a sister like that. But all the same... Those people in cloaks. He found it a lot harder to concentrate on drills that afternoon, and when he left the building at five o'clock, he was still so worried that he walked straight into someone just outside the door. Sorry. He grunted, as the tiny old man stumbled and almost fell. It was a few seconds before Mr. Dursley realized that the man was wearing a violet cloak. He didn't seem at all upset at being almost knocked to the ground. On the contrary, his face split into a wide smile, and he said in a squeaky voice that made passerby stare, D Don't worry. Oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Don't be sorry, my dear, for nothing could upset me today. Rejoice, for you know who has gone at last. Even muggles like your sh yourself should be celebrating this happy, happy day. And the old man hugged Mr. Dursley around the middle and walked off. Mr. Dursley stood rooted to the spot. He had been hugged by a complete stranger. He also thought he had been called a muggle, whatever that was. He was rattled. 
He hurried to his car and set off for home, hoping he was imagining things, which he had never hoped before, because he didn't approve of imagination. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> As he pulled into the driveway of number four, the first thing he saw, and it didn't improve his mood, was the tabby cat he'd spotted that morning. It was now sitting on his garden wall. He was sure it was the same one. Shoot. It had the same markings around its eyes. Shoot! Said Mr. Dursley loudly. The cat didn't move. It just gave him a stern look. Was this normal cat behavior? Mr. Dursley wondered. Trying to pull himself together, he let himself into the house. He was still determined not to mention anything to his wife. Mrs. Dursley had had a nice, normal day. She told him over dinner all about Mrs. Nextdoor's problems with her daughter and how Dudley had learned a new word. Won't. Mr. Dursley tried to act normally. When Dudley had been put to bed, he went into the living room in time to catch the last report on the evening news. Uh, one second. And finally, bird watchers everywhere have reported that the nation's owls have been behaving very unusually today. Although owls normally hunt at night and are hardly ever seen in daylight, there have been hundreds of sightings of these birds flying in every direction since sunrise. Experts are unable to explain why owls have suddenly changed their sleeping pattern. The newspaper allowed the newscaster allowed himself a grin. Most mysterious. And now over to Jim McGuffin with the weather. Gonna be any more showers of showers of owls tonight, Jim? Well, Ted, said the weatherman. I don't know about that, but it's not only the owls that have been acting oddly today. Viewers as far apart as Kent, Yorkshire, and Dundee have been phoning in to tell me that instead of the rain I promised yesterday, they've had a downpour of shooting stars. Perhaps people have been celebrating bonfire night early. It's not until next week, folks. But I can promise a wet night tonight. Mr. Dursley sat frozen in his armchair. Shooting stars all over Britain? Owls flying by daylight? Mysterious people in cloaks all over the place? And a whisper, a whisper about the Potters. Mrs. Dursley came into the living room carrying two cups of tea. It was no good. He'd have to say something to her. He cleared his throat nervously. Uh, uh, Petunia, dear, you haven't heard from your sister lately, have you? As he had expected, Mrs. Dursley looked shocked and angry. After all, they normally pretended she didn't have a sister. No, she said sharply. Why? Funny stuff on the news, Mr. Dursley mumbled. Owls, shooting stars, and there were a lot of funny-looking people in town today. So? Snapped Mrs. Dursley. Well, I just thought maybe it was something to do with, you know, her crowd. Mrs. Dursley sipped her tea through pursed lips. Mr. Dursley wondered whether he dared tell her he heard the name Potter. He decided he didn't dare. Instead, he said, as casually as he could, Their son. He'd be about Dudley's age now, wouldn't he? I suppose so, said Mrs. Dursley stiffly. What's his name again? Howard, isn't it? Harry. Nasty common name, if you ask me. Oh, yes, said Mr. Dursley, his heart sinking horribly. Yes, I quite agree. He didn't say another word on the subject as they went upstairs to bed. While Mrs. Dursley was in the bathroom, Mr. Dursley crept to the bedroom window and peered down into the front garden. The cat was still there. It was staring down Pivot Drive as though it were waiting for something. Was he imagining things? Could all this have anything to do with the Potters? If it did... If it got out that they were related to a pair of... Well, he didn't think he could bear it. The Dursleys got into bed. Mrs. Dursley fell asleep quickly, but Mr. Dursley lay awake. 
turning it all over in his mind. His last comforting thought before he fell asleep was that even if the Potters were involved, there was no reason for them to come near him and Mrs. Dursley. The Potters knew very well that he and Petunia thought about the... Mm. The Potters knew very well what he and Petunia thought about them and their kind. He couldn't see how he and Petunia could get mixed up in anything he might be that... Mm. Let me do that sentence again. <clears throat> he couldn't see how he and Petunia could get mixed up in anything that might be going on. He yawned and turned over. It couldn't affect them. Oh, how very wrong he was. Mr. Dursley might have been drifting into an uneasy sleep, but the cat on the wall outside was showing no sign of sleepiness. It was sitting as still as a statue, its eyes fixed unblinkingly on the far corner of Pivot Drive. It didn't so much as quiver when a car door slammed on the next street, nor when two owls swooped overhead. In fact, it was nearly midnight before the cat moved at all. A man appeared on the corner of the cat. Mm. A man appeared on the corner the cat had been watching, appeared so suddenly and silently, you'd have thought he'd just popped out of the ground. The cat's tail twitched, and its eyes narrowed. Nothing like this man had ever been seen on Pivot Drive. He was tall, thin and very old, judging by the silver of his hair and beard, which were both long enough to tuck into his belt. He was wearing long robes, a purple cloak that swept the ground, and high-heeled buckled boots. His blue eyes were light, bright, and sparkling behind half-moon spectacles, and his nose was very long and crooked, as though it had been broken at least twice. This man's name was Albus Dumbledore. Albus Dumbledore didn't seem to realize that he had just arrived in a street where everything from his name to his boots was unwelcome. He was busy rummaging in his cloak, looking for something, but he didn't seem to realize he was being watched, because he looked up suddenly at the cat, which was still staring at him from the other end of the street. For some reason, the sight of the cat seemed to amuse him. He chuckled and muttered. <laughs> I should have known. He found what he was looking for in his inside pocket. It seemed to be a silver cigarette lighter. He flicked it open, held it up in the air, and clicked it. The nearest street lamp went out with a little pop. He clicked it again. The next lamp flickered into darkness. Twelve times he clicked the put-outer, until the only lights left on the whole street were two tiny pinpricks in the distance, which were the eyes of the cat watching him. If anyone looked out of their window now, even beady-eyed Mrs. Dursley, they wouldn't be able to see anything that was happening down on the pavement. Dumbledore slipped the put-outer back inside his cloak, and set off down the street toward number four, where he sat down on the wall next to the cat. He didn't look at it, but after a moment he spoke to it. Fancy seeing you here, Professor McGonagall. He turned to smile at the tabby, but it had gone. Instead, he was smiling at a rather severe-looking woman who was wearing square glasses exactly the shape of the markings the cat had had had... Mm exactly the shape of the markings the cat had had around its eyes. She, too, was wearing a cloak, an emerald one. Her black hair was drawn into a tight bun. She looked distinctly ruffled. How did you know it was me? She asked. My dear professor, I've never seen a cat sit so stiffly. You'd be stiff if you'd been sitting on a brick wall all day, said Professor McGonagall. All day? When you could have been celebrating? I must have passed a dozen feasts and parties on my way here. Professor McGonagall sniffed angrily. Oh yes, everyone's celebrating all right. 
she said impatiently. You'd think they'd be a bit more careful, but no. Even the muggles have noticed something's going on. It was on their news. She jerked her head back at the Dursley's dark living room window. I heard it. Flocks of owls shooting stars. Well, they're not completely stupid. They are bound to notice something. Shooting stars down in Kent. I'll bet that was Daedalus Digley. He'd never had so much sense. You can't blame them, said Dumbledore gently. We've had precious little to celebrate for eleven years. I know that, said Professor McGonagall irritably. But that's no reason to lose our heads. People are being downright careless. Out on the streets in broad daylight, not even dressed in muggle clothes, swapping rumors. She threw a sharp sideways glance at Dumbledore here, as though hoping he was going to tell her something. But he didn't. So she went on. A fine thing it would be if, on the very day you know who seemed to have disappeared at last, the muggles found out about us all. I suppose he really has gone, Dumbledore. It certainly seems so, we... said Dumbledore. We have much to be thankful for. Would you care for a lemon drop? A what? A lemon drop. They're a kind of muggle sweet that I'm rather fond of. No, thank you, said Professor McGonagall coldly, as though she didn't think this was the moment for lemon drops. As I say, even if you-know-who has gone... My dear Professor, surely a sensible person like you can call him by his name. All this you-know-who nonsense for eleven years. I've tried to per I've been trying to persuade people to call him by his proper name. Voldemort. Professor McGonagall flinched, but Dumbledore, who was unsticking two lemon drops, seemed not to notice. It all gets so confusing if we keep saying you-know-who. I've never seen any reason to be frightened of saying Voldemort's name. I know you haven't said Professor McGonagall, sounding half-exasperated, half-admiring. But you're different. Everyone knows you're the only one you know. Ugh. Oh, all right. Voldemort was frightened of. You flatter me, said Dumbledore calmly. Voldemort had powers I will never have. Only because you're too, well, noble to use them. <laughs> It's lucky it's dark. I haven't blushed so much since Madame Pomfrey told me she liked my new earmuffs. Professor McGonagall shot a sharp look at Dumbledore and said, The owls are nothing next to the rumors that are flying around. You know what everyone's saying about why he's disappeared and what finally stopped him. It seemed that Professor McGonagall had reached the point she was most anxious to discuss. The real reason she had been waiting on a cold, hard wall all day. For neither as a cat nor as a woman she had she fixed Dumbledore with such a piercing stare as she did now. It was plain that whatever everyone was saying, she was not going to believe it until Dumbledore told her it was true. Dumbledore, however, was choosing another lemon drop and did not answer. What they're saying, she pressed on, is that last night Voldemort turned up in Godric's Hollow. He went to find the Potters. The rumor is that Lily and James Potter are, are, that they're dead. Dumbledore bowed his head. Professor McGonagall gasped. Lily and James, I can't believe it. I didn't want to believe it. Oh, Albus. Dumbledore reached out and patted her on the shoulder. I know. I know. He said heavily. Professor McGonagall's voice trembled as she went on. That's not all. They're saying he tried to kill the Potter's son, Harry, but he couldn't. He couldn't kill that little boy. No one knows why or how, but they're saying that when he couldn't kill Harry Potter, Voldemort's power somehow broke, and that's why he's gone. Dumbledore nodded gloomily. It's... it's true. 
faltered Professor McGonagall. After all he's done, all the people he's killed, he couldn't kill a little boy. It's just astounding. Of all the things to stop him. But how in the name of heaven did Harry survive? We can only guess, said Dumbledore. We may never know. Professor McGonagall pulled out a lace handkerchief and dabbed at her eyes beneath her, her spectacles. Dumbledore gave a great sniff as he took a golden watch from his pocket and examined it. It was a very odd watch. It had twelve hands, but no numbers. Instead, little planets were moving around the edge. It must have made sense to Dumbledore, though, because he put it back in his pocket and said, Hagrid's late. I suppose it was he who told you I'd be here, by the way? Yes, said Professor McGonagall. And I don't suppose you're going to tell me why you're here, of all places. I've come to, I've come to bring Harry to his aunt and uncle. They're the only family that he has left now. You don't mean... You can't mean the people who live here! cried Professor McGonagall, jumping to her feet and pointing at number four. Dumbledore, you can't! I've been watching them all day. You couldn't find two people who are less like us. And they've got this son. I saw him kicking his mother all the way up the street and screaming for sweets. Harry Potter, come and live here! It's the best place for him, said Dumbledore firmly. His aunt and uncle will be able to explain everything to him when he's older. I've written them a letter. A letter, repeated Mac Professor McGonagall faintly, sitting back down on the wall. Really, Dumbledore, you think you can explain all this in a letter? These people will never understand him. He'll be famous, a legend. I wouldn't be surprised if today was known as Harry Potter Day in the future. There will be books written about Harry. Every child in our world will know his name. Exactly, said Dumbledore, looking very seriously over the top of his half-moon glasses. It would be enough to turn any boy's head, famous before he can walk and talk, famous for something he won't even remember. You see how, you see how much better off he'll be growing up away from all that until he's... Er, sorry, can't you see how much better off he'll be growing up away from all that until he's ready to take it? Professor McGonagall opened her mouth, changed her mind, swallowed, and then said, Yes. Yes, you're right, of course. But how is the boy getting here, Dumbledore? She eyed his cloak suddenly, as though she thought he might be hiding Harry underneath it. Hagrid's bringing him. Uh, bringing him. You think it wise? To trust Hagrid with something as important as this? I would trust Hagrid with my life, said Dumbledore. I'm not saying his heart isn't in the right place, said Professor McGonagall grudgingly. But you can't pretend he's not careless. He does tend to. What was that? A low rumbling sound had broken the silence around them. It grew steadily louder as they looked up and down the street for some sign of a headlight. It swelled to a roar as they both looked up at the sky, and a huge motorcycle fell out of the air and landed on the road in front of them. If the motorcycle was huge, it was nothing to the man sitting astride it. He was almost twice as tall as a normal man and at least five times as wide. He looked simply too big to be allowed, and so wild. Long tangles of bushy black hair and beard hid most of his face. He had hands the size of trash can lids, and his feet on their and his feet in their boots were like baby dolphins. In his vast muscular arms he was holding a bundle of blankets. Hagrid said Dumbledore, sounding relieved. At last. And where did you get that motorcycle? Borrowed it from, uh, borrowed it, Professor, Professor Dumbledore, sir. Said the giant, climbing carefully off the motorcycle as he spoke. Young Sirius Black lent it to me. I've got him, sir. 
no problems, were there? No, sir. House was almost destroyed, but I got him out all right before the muggles started swarming around. He fell asleep as we was flying over Bristol. Dumbledore and Professor McGonagall bent forward over the bundle of blankets. Inside, just visible, was a baby boy, fast asleep. Under a tuft of jet-black hair over his forehead, they could see a curiously shaped cut, like a bolt of lightning. Is that where... Yeah. whispered Professor McGonagall. Yes, said Dumbledore. He'll have that scar forever. Couldn't you do something about it, Dumbledore? Even if I could, I wouldn't. Scars can come in handy. I have one myself above my left knee that is a perfect map of the London Underground. Well, give him here, Hagrid. We'd better get this over with. Dumbledore took Harry in his arms and turned towards the Dursley's house. Could I... Could I say goodbye to him, sir? Hagrid. He bent his great shaggy head over Harry and gave him what must have hit, what must have been a very scratchy, whiskery kiss. Then suddenly, Hagrid let out a howl like a wounded dog. Uh, sorry, what? Shh! Hissed Professor McGonagall. You'll wake the muggles. Sorry sobbed Hagrid, taking out a large spotted handkerchief and burying his face in it. But I can't stand it. Lily and James dead. I poor Harry off to live with muggles. Yes, yes, it's all very sad. But get a grip on yourself, Hagrid, or we'll be found. Professor McGonagall whispered, patting Hagrid gingerly on the arm as Dumbledore stepped over the low garden wall and walked to the front door. He laid Harry gently on the doorstep, took a letter out of his cloak, tucked it inside Harry's blankets, and then came back to the other two. For a full minute, the three of them stood and looked at the little bundle. Hagrid's shoulders shook. Professor McGonagall blinked furiously and the twinkling light that usually shone from Dumbledore's eyes seemed to have gone out. Well, said Dumbledore finally, that's that. We've no business staying here. We may as well go and join the celebrations. Yeah, said Hagrid in a very muffled voice. I'll be taking Sirius back his bike. Good night, Professor McGonagall. Professor Dumbledore, sir. Wiping his streaming eyes on his jacket sleeve, Hagrid swung himself onto the motorcycle and kicked the engine into life. With a roar, it rose into the air and off into the night. I shall see you soon, I expect, Professor McGonagall, said Dumbledore, nodding to her. Professor McGonagall blew her nose in reply. Dumbledore turned and walked back down the street. On the corner he stopped and took out the silver put-outer. He clicked it once, and twelve balls of light sped back to their street lamps, so that Pivot Drive glowed suddenly orange, and he could make out a tabby cat slinking around the corner at the other end of the street. He could just see the bundle of blankets on the step of number four. Good luck, Harry, he murmured. He turned on his heel, and with a swish of his cloak, he was gone. A breeze ruffled the neat hedges of Pivot Drive, which lay silent and tidy under the inky sky. The very last place you would expect astonishing things to happen. Harry Potter rolled over inside his blankets without waking up. One small hand closed on the letter beside him, as he and he slept on, not knowing he was special, not knowing he was famous, not knowing he would be woken in a few hours' time by Mrs. Dursley's scream as she opened the front door to put out the milk bottles, nor that he would spend the next few weeks being prodded and pinched by his cousin Dudley. He couldn't know that this very moment— 
People meeting in secret all over the country were holding up their glasses and saying in hushed voices, To, to Harry Potter, the boy who lived. <clears throat> okay, so, two things. Privet Drive. Privet? Privet. There's an R there. Hold on. Privet. Oh, God. I keep. I missed the R. God damn it. And second? Dumbledore's got a thing for Madame Pomfrey. Yep. I thought I was gay. Yes, but this is also the first book before that news news came out. Way before that news came out. I'm fine with a bi. Bisexual disaster, Dumbledore. Yeah, but fuck. he knits. What mm-hmm. bisexual person doesn't know how to knit? You know what? That's a boyfriend. Oh fuck. Okay, so where are we sitting after chapter one? First also, thing, I don't think my boyfriend knows how to knit, and he's bisexual. Then he needs to learn. It's the rule. If you're bisexual, <laughs> you have to know how to do something with yarn. <laughs> I don't make the rules. I just tell them. God damn it. It's Wait. like how I'm asexual and I know how to crochet. So so my Nathan doesn't know how to crochet. Do, Lady Pundit, does your Nathan know how to crochet? Or knit? I don't think Nate knows how to crochet, but I think Nate falls a more long straight ally. So That's... he gets... <laughs> That's fair. I keep forgetting. <laughs> uh, so where are we setting after chapter one? Like... One thing I would like to say is yep. I don't have a lot of complaints with chapter one, surprisingly. It sets up a good narrative. It shows that the Dursleys really strive to be like this normal, everyday family. They don't want anything strange going on. They're not okay with things that outside the box, which bearing in mind for when the time period of this book is taking place mm-hmm. is normal. That mm-hmm. is normally expected. Um, the interactions and the first introduction to magic, really well done. Mm-hmm. The the little tidbits in that and the fact that yes in fact Sirius Black is mentioned and there was plans for him down the line yeah all oh, perfect yeah. my issue is that they put Harry Potter in the middle of in the beginning of November on a step stool and nothing but blankets and didn't think to knock the damn door mm-hmm. do you really think the Dursleys would have answered to Dumbledore or McGonagall though no it would have been ding dong ditch ding ditch baby uh, fair but knowing how later on in the book when uh hagrid makes his second entrance to uh take harry away they're actually afraid of his magical ability what so the- they would have taken him but they would have taken him either way if dumbledore was there especially since dumbledore being as magically powerful as he is I have thoughts on that. We'll get to that once the chapter get uh, once we get to that chapter because I have thoughts on Hagrid and specifically his magical abilities. Um, oh yeah. <sighs> what else about chapter one? I really like how they kind of laid out the world a little bit, mm-hmm. like the whole world building port part, and how it was odd to see so many people dressed in their wizarding clothing like it lays out how especially in that part of the country how many people were actually wizards like uh, how otherwise hidden the magical world was from muggle society yeah basically how despite the fact that you don't normally see them that they're literally everywhere Mm -hmm. i i do agree the I, whole hiding and play sight thing. What I kind of like is the fact that, uh, so once again, going back to the whole how the Dursleys strive to be like normal and how mm. they pretend Tunya doesn't have a sister. I will get into it a bit more in the next chapter about how I wish they made her a bit more than just two dimensional. But I like how they're still like, I don't forget my sister. I still have this jealousy towards her because. Once again, a bit reveal later in chapter how she got the magic, I didn't. Yep. Mm-hmm. She got to experience this world and left me behind. Mm-hmm. I think Petunia's whole issue is it comes down to jealousy. Yeah, 
And there's also, if you read later, later on in the series, it does describe how Petunia begged his, her sister to do a thing for her using the magic. But uh, Lily, the sister, was was not about to get herself in trouble for anything because she wanted to be part of this world so badly because of her gift that she refused. And I actually read a fan fiction as to what would have happened with Harry had Lily done the thing for Petunia. Do tell. Uh, so if Lily had done the thing that Petunia was requesting of her, she would have married, Petunia would have not married uh, Mr. Dursley. She would have married someone else. She would have, she was described as being a bit kinder. And the man that she married was more of a scientific mind. And so when they came to having custody of Harry, Harry grew up being more of a scientifically analytical person. Harry Potter and the, was it the Methods of Rationality? Yes! You've read it? No, but I've heard of it. It is so good! I also heard it's I, really, really long. It is. It, it is a longer read. However, it's laid out in a really good way as an alternate universe for Harry Potter. Fair. Uh, yeah, I will. I will take that. Um, he he even uh, brings in some of like the Muggle technologies into uh, Hogwarts. Huh. Like an actual typewriter. Huh. Because they because he didn't like how they everyone was using quills and and parchment. <laughs> He's like, this is inefficient. I do have to say, Mister Dursley, Mister Dursley is the muggliest Muggle to ever Muggle. Yep. I also Just... like how they portray very early that Dudley is a brat. And I think <laughs> I think part of the reason he's a brat, yes, we know it's because they dot on him more than Harry, which is another one of my issues that I will bring up in chapter two on how they could have fixed it, because that's another reason we're doing this, is how we could fix this, make it a more interesting story. Um, I think the reason is Petunia... Because she never had a second child. She nope. doesn't seem to want a second child. Because I think in her mind, she fears that if she had a second child, because she her sister was a magic, there's a possibility that any children she has could have magical powers. So it's better mm -hmm. just to have the one baby mm -hmm. and either all or nothing. So yep. I did a bit of digging into Harry Potter lore because, as we all know, I'm a fucking... I, I'm an academic at heart, and outside information is kind of kind of my jam. Um, Petunia had Dudley. Mm -hmm. One of Dudley's kids turned out to be magical. Ooh. Dudley and Harry's relationship improved to the point where they were actually able to sit in the room with one another. They didn't really say much to each other when they did this later on after the series ended. Um, it was more just sitting silently with one another in the same room, but they were still able to be there as the kids played together. Basically they came together for their kids. Mm -hmm. Petunia passed away, unfortunately, before she saw Harry again, from what I understand and what I remember, but Dudley was digging through some old things as he was clearing out her house and found the blanket that Harry was originally wrapped in on the doorstep and gave it to Harry thinking that Petunia would want him to have it. Oh, that is from official lore. That that's official, like that's from that's people. from the Harry Potter. That's from the actual Harry Potter wiki. Oh shit! And yeah, you, like, you know the Harry Potter wiki does their research before they post shit. The yeah, wiki does research. So Jordan here has a question. Also, uh, Nuppy, welcome on in. Uh, Jordan here has a question. What if she couldn't have another child? That is another possibility because back then, I think this is taking place in like the beginning of the story is taking place in like the early, the mid to early 80s. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So, so Harry Potter was born in 81, I think. Yeah. yeah. Which means, no, hold on, because he was 11. It would have been 91 when he was in school, which means he, it yeah. would have been 80, 1980, give or take. Yeah. So back then, 
fertility issues weren't really talked about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And bear in mind also, and I hate to bring this up, Mr. Dursley and Dudley were both called hefty men. Yep. Yeah. So depending on what happened during the birthing process, (laughs) there is a chance she could have had complications. Or heck, she might have even had complications before and had a hard time conceiving to begin with because she's described as this spindly thin thin woman and when i mm-hmm. think of a thin woman i think of someone like that that's like built like a tree almost mm-hmm. so she doesn't have proper birthing hips yeah yeah my boyfriend's sister she's about to have her fourth kid but she's thin as a twig and she is already dealing with a lot of issues on top of her uh, pre-existing health issues. So this is going to be her last kid. I would like to also point out that aside from the Weasleys, mm-hmm. you don't see a lot of pure blood families actually having a lot of kids. Like if you look at mm-hmm. the Malfoys, they only have Draco. Yeah. And everyone else, they don't talk about, oh, I have siblings. The only people you hear for sure that have, like, younger siblings besides where the Weasleys was the Collins and their Muggleborns. Mm-hmm. So it makes me wonder if there's, like, some fertility issues with the with the Wizarding World? And maybe, because there's a, there's a headcanon going around, this hasn't been proven, that Muggleborns are just the children of multiple generations of squibs. Yeah, so... Jordan asked the question, how old Mm. does it say she was when she had Dudley? So Dudley was born on the 23rd of June, 1980. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Dursley, Petunia was born, let me see, sometime pre-1960s. So you also have to think about the time period with uh, the people having kids in that time period. Yeah. Um, There was that whole thing in health generally where a lot of things including homes were made with lead and it is being talked about now how lead and lead consumption like through the dinner plates or cooking utensils that were made with lead even children's toys that were made with lead affected people's health almost to severity so oh Oh, i just had it yeah Ooh, this might Okay, now, this is going a bit more into headcanon and theoretical thinking, but what if they were at first trying to have a second child? Because we know how... I, I always picture Petunia really wanted a girl. She really mm-hmm. wanted someone. Maybe na- continue the tradition of naming her after a flower like the rest of her family. Mm-hmm. What if they couldn't because they got Harry, and they knew that with Vernon's salary alone, even though we know Vernon doesn't want to put much money into Harry knew they couldn't financially have a third child. I mean, look what happened. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to get into that because that's a thing. Do I want to? What? Look at what happened with Harry in the bedroom. He didn't get that until like book two. Mm-hmm. And that was and only that because was... they were forced to because they were terrified of what would happen if they didn't. Yeah. After what? Uh, after when? After Dumbledore and McGonagall found out as to how Harry was being treated after the first book. Yeah. Oh, I actually read an interesting fan fiction about that. Um, oh, what's it called? It was called Harry. I think it was like two sides of the same coin. Basically, it was introducing the idea that uh, the neighborhood on Perfect Drive saw how they were treating Harry and they started to gossip about it because they knew that the Dursleys were very big about not wanting to be the center of attention. Mm-hmm. But that was what Petunia wanted. And the reason Harry was even in the cupboard was because every time they tried to bring him upstairs, he would start screaming because he remembered what happened to him and his family when he went upstairs to the bedroom. And the only time he would calm down was when they put him in the cupboard because it was a small confined space. Oh, snap! Oh, shit. And I just thought that was such an interesting take on it because it explained it so well. And it just became a thing because even after he grew up and probably forgot about it, it was like he was comfortable there. He never said anything to like move out. 
Well, what the... And he probably never realized that it was a trauma response until later on in life. Which, there's actually something to do with that, I think, in Chapter 2 or Chapter 3. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Chapter 2, and we'll get into that at the end of that. Um, yeah, it was just an interesting take on it, that it was a trauma response. And Petunia, they couldn't have a screaming child, so they just put him in the cupboard because that's where he would stop crying. Yeah, wow. Um, wow. That is a pretty interesting take. And it's an interesting take also because it shows how Petunia is trying to, like, use heavy manipulation and she has a lot of Slytherin tendencies because she wants her family to be normal. She wants everything to be perceived as normal as possible. And when Harry sees that, he he's, like, eight years old. He offers to help. And you see her try and, like, get him ready for the wizarding world by saying you should start writing in pen now because you're going to start learning to do it soon. And even comments how you should start getting used to fountain pens as well. And does other things like only makes his dinner when the others when vernon and dudley aren't there and stuff and gets him a bookshelf for inside the cupboard because he sees she sees how he brings home books a lot and she says don't think anything about it don't even think about the day because it was a birthday present but she was trying to knock it off like it wasn't makes me wonder how harry would have turned out if the dursleys had have actually treated him with respect i'm well, that's one of the things I always wonder, too. Or even not just respect, but gave him, like, treated him like a visiting relative. We're just like, gonna... not like full love and support and careness, but like, we're going to give you your basic necessities. We're going to give you your basic needs, mm -hmm. but we're not going to love you like a child, like our child. I just want to interrupt here because here on Twitch, we have actually just been raided by Team B42. Welcome Hello. on in. We have, let me scroll back to the beginning of the list here. Who do we have? We have Merciless Flower, Sergeant Saros, Mist, uh, Mr. Briggsy. We have Crooked Spire, uh, Chikachu. 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 Explode, Explode and Beef, Sanchit, Kitten Right Meow, and Mr. Deviation, Team D42, welcome on in. We are doing our Idiot Book Nook as we do on Wednesday mornings. We start at 9 a.m. Mountain Time. And uh, we are going through Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Slash Sorcerer's Stone, book one of the Harry Potter series. So the way we do this is we read out uh, a chapter and then we have an in-depth discussion about it, which we are just on the discussion portion now. So please enjoy that. And if you want to check us out on our socials, we have our social media links coming up here in the chat. Mr. Deviation, thank you for the follow. Thank you, Mr. Deviation. Thank you. Chikachu, we are having an in-depth discussion. Basically, we are reading through the book chapters, one chapter, uh, chapter by chapter. We're exploring this journey all over again. And then after each chapter, we stop and we have a discussion. We are also formatting this for podcast format. So that is a thing as well. Podcast will be out on the 7th. So roughly five days after uh, we do each stream. And I will be posting the link to the streaming site here this is where you can follow us for the podcast versions of our episodes so anchor.fm slash idiot dash book dash nook basically if you miss us with the stream you can still catch us on the podcast and you can take us on the go yep the only the only sad part about that fan fiction it was really good i loved mm -hmm. it so much it was well written it showed good characterization it hasn't been updated in over 12 years. Oh, um, fanfiction.net by any chance? Yeah. Back during the fanfiction days. Ah. Imagine if they did make a post. You could you could do that whole meme is like, I have done my waiting 12 years of it. <laughs> it has come in. <laughs> it has come in. Someone already did it. I couldn't do it. Someone already did it. Uh, but it was it was it was it was really good because here's the thing: they were writing it as if Harry was leaning less into Gryffindor and more to his Slytherin tendencies. Because they also made it so that uh, Harry was doing better in school and he mm -hmm. actually got better glasses. And basically, Dudley was told if you keep being a bully and picking on your nephew, on your cousin, you get one gift taken away from you, and it's permanent. Oh, so he literally lost like four gifts, <laughs> like permanently lost number. 
they still made like good quality gifts. It was just the quantity that lessened. And it also counted if he had his friends bully Harry. Kitten, oh. kitten right meow. Thank you for the follow. Thank you, kitten right meow. <sighs> it was really good. And it hasn't, I'm going to, I'm going to check and see if it's actually updated at all. Well, again, you've done your waiting 12 years of it. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, I want to say that the author of that fan fiction has moved on. So, uh, I mean, let's face it. It's been 12 years. Uh, this is my kind of convo. Kitten right meow. Welcome on in. Can't wait to get to know you guys more. We can't wait to have you more. While we're reading, we may not interact with you. But once we get to the discussion portion, we want to bring you guys into that, especially for the podcast. We want to show people that we want to interact with you guys. And if you come catch us live on Twitch, like we'll bring you into the conversation and we'll talk points with you. We, we, want, to, we want to build community here is what we want. Off in the raids. Talk soon. No worries, kitten. We'll see you soon. Check us out in the podcast. Come and join us on Wednesday mornings. Welcome home. Yes. It Welcome was last, back to the halls of Hogwarts. It was last updated October 20th, 2010. Oh. No. Yeah, so I want to say that unfortunately with a lot of those fanfics, the authors have probably moved on. Um, they are doing other things with their lives and there's a good chance that some of them may have forgotten about them or they may not exactly remember them. Which is a sad part of like fan fiction culture. Like these fics die out. I, I and I know that's sad, but a lot of these fics do die out, and they just fade away into the annals of history. It was so unless good. they happen upon this podcast and are like, maybe I should finish this. I mean, it was good though. Harry was introduced to the magical world early. He found out about it. He started to become friends with Draco, and that started Draco on his redemption arc down the line. But I didn't get to see it because they stopped before the they got to meet again outside because Draco wanted to see Muggle London. So just putting this out there, if you are the author of that fanfic and you happen to come across this podcast or this stream and you happen to be watching or listening to us, please finish your please finish your fanfic, Lady Punnett and Thornwick would more than love to be able to finish reading that. We'll do a reading of your fan fiction. If you finish the fan fiction, I will read it. I will post it on all my things. If you finish the fan fiction, or if someone picks it up and adopts it, because it's been abandoned for like 12 years now. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I will read it. it. It's, I mean, it's a lot of words. It's 117K. Well, to be fair, though, like some of the world's most prolific stories, some of the world's most memorable stories are fan fictions themselves. Oh, yeah. Some of the world's best books are fan fiction. Mm hmm. Just we don't consider it that because they are literary works. Yep. So. Uh, Jordan, the dude says, I love fanfic Thornwick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm very passionate about that one. I like fan fictions because I like me, my redemptive storylines, my found families, my uh, one that I've been reading, like it's been based on a Tumblr trend called the Villain Wrangler, which is just this guy who goes to find villains for like the equivalent of Sick Kids Foundation mm -hmm. or the Make-A-Wish Foundation because they want to meet them. And the first one was literally Poison Ivy because oh. this girl wanted... Poison Ivy to see if her plants liked her. Aww. And it was so good. <laughs> and there was redemption. And he kept, and he got kidnapped by the Joker later on, but he was okay. But still. Oh my god. Let's kind of rein this back in a little bit. We are formatting these for podcast episodes. <gasps> so there are going to be multiple podcast episodes within a streaming session uh, here on Twitch. So we are going to start framing them for podcast episodes. I want to say at this point, we're done with chapter one. Would you guys mm -hmm. agree? Yeah. Yes. Okay. We're done. We're done with chapter one. We're done talking about chapter one. So we are going to end this episode of the podcast off. There's going to be more for the Twitch session. So if you're here with the Twitch session, please stick around. We're going to be going, like we're going to be going on a break, but the, this podcast episode is going to be ending. I'm going to once again, pop our socials in the chat. And for those of you that are listening in the podcast version of this, the socials will be posted in the show notes. But if you don't happen to take a look at the show notes, you can find Lady Punnett or Thornwick on 
uh, basically under the username Paulina.Avalon on TikTok. You can find me at linktree slash blazewing2010. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash blazewing2010. And The Reading Dragon, you can find at linktree slash The Reading Dragon. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash The Reading Dragon. Yep. <sighs> this will be syndicated to a whole bunch of different uh, platforms. You'll be able to catch us on things like Spotify, if you still use that, Google Cast. Uh, I think there's like, we've got Anchor, we've got Pocket Cast. Basically, once we get the official list of places that we are uh, th- that we are syndicated to and the platforms that we're on, I will start listing those here for you guys. Uh, but we're going to wrap it up for Chapter 1. For those of you that are here with the Twitch stream, please stick around. For those of you that uh, are for the podcast, we will see you guys next episode.